Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret, and my guest today is Christina Martin. Christina is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction at the Children's School, an independent progressive K-8 school outside of Chicago. She has taught elementary, middle, and high school with special areas of interest in play and project-based learning, democratic practices in the classroom, teaching math and social justice curriculum. She is also the proud mother of four grown children. Welcome, Christina. Thanks for having me. Recently, I was on a podcast called In the Weeds, and I was talking with Lori Hammond, who is the school director of the Peregrine School in Davis, California, which is a progressive school. And a lot of our listeners came back and said, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, what is progressive ed? And can you talk a little bit more about that? And I was like, I can talk a lot about that. And I know the perfect person to talk about it because I know someone who runs a progressive ed school who also happens to be my sister-in-law, who has been married to my brother for, I don't even know how many years, 20 something. 28, 29 Something like that. 28 years. I think we could just say sister at this point. But since being married to my brother, Christina is, more importantly to our conversation today, the head of a progressive ed school in, it's outside of Chicago, Oak Park. And tell us a little bit for our audience who's never heard the term progressive ed in their life, what is progressive education? All right. So it's, it's an umbrella term. It sometimes can mean different things to different people, but Broadly speaking, progressive education is an educational philosophy centered in democratic practices in the work of John Dewey, Maria Montessori, Booker T. Washington, many, many, and many, many others that centers the child's own interests and the child's own curiosity as the centerpiece of learning. And something I want to talk a lot about today is play-based learning. So play-based is a great way to start, right? We know research knows but also parents know, people know that children learn deeply and well through play. Imaginative play, collaborative play, outdoor play. Their scientific research tells us that experiences that enter children's brains through the senses, through hands-on, through having your hands in the dirt or building or making something or manipulating something, those experiences enter the brain in a different way and more easily and readily become part of long-term 
storage in the brain. That's sort of technical and I'm not a scientist at all, but think of your own experiences, right? When you, what do you remember from second grade? Do you remember that time you did a worksheet adding numbers together? Or do you remember that time everyone dressed as the pilgrims and had a Thanksgiving feast? That is super true. Like I get a visceral memory picturing myself in my pilgrim outfit, but I'm not sure people do always recognize what you're saying, which is that play is learning. I think for a lot of people, people feel like play happens after school and school is learning time. And that the idea of integrating those two ideas, one example at my kid's school, they have a community garden. So that's a form of learning. They're learning about food rather than just like looking at a picture of a plate that has four sections. And I'd like to talk more about this idea of play as learning, because I don't know that that is clear to everybody. Yeah, great question. So uh, first, I would disagree with the notion that, you know, you go to school to learn and you play for fun. I think learning is fun. And I think most children think that too, as well as most adults, as long as it's something you are interested in learning that is relevant and meaningful to you. And that doesn't mean that children choose every topic and that all they want to learn about is video games and that's fine. It doesn't mean that there is an important adult role in giving context for topics and guiding children to know about things they don't know anything about. But the idea, I've seen this so many times, it's really borne out in my personal experience. Children are naturally curious. They're naturally motivated to learn and to do things. And most children, most people wouldn't choose a life of doing nothing, even though learning and doing things is hard sometimes. Well, we've all been forced recently to choose a life of doing nothing. And we see that it's not great, actually. And that we've talked a lot on the podcast about that I found with my own children that this idea of like, I have to fill the day and it's going to be horrible, that in fact, my kids, and I think all kids, they do have some natural curiosity that after they're actually bored of playing video games and just, you know, fighting with each other, that they have found a place in the house that they didn't know was there in the attic and started a little fort and that they do have a curiosity that is there that I think sometimes we think, if we leave kids to do nothing, they will end up just kind of ripping the house apart and or playing video games for eight hours. Right. And I do think children have to learn how to play. There is some play that is very rich and productive and some play that is not. And I'm going to say that video games is not very rich and productive. Right. It's more similar to me watching Netflix at the end of the evening. Right. There's a role for it. Like everybody, there's a reason why we watch Netflix, but that's not learning play. That's not, I think rich is the right word that you use. That's not a rich experience. Right. Okay. So let's talk about some examples of things that you do find richer play, like even something as simple as blocks. Building things with blocks, big blocks, little blocks, any kind of blocks. It's pretty easy. It's not something that people would look at and say like, oh, this is a learning activity. This seems like, oh, the kids are just fooling around. Block play is teaching you physics concepts and engineering concepts about gravity and friction and mass and, you know, all of that. It's teaching you mathematical things about proportion and symmetry. There's language learning involved, right? When you're working with a friend to build something and you have to explain like what you're trying to do, what you want your friend to do, what you need help with. I've seen so many times children at my school build something with blocks and then write 
a sign like this is my movie theater. This is my zoo. This is where the elephants are. Right. So they're reading, they're writing as part of the play. And these kids are how old? Kindergarten, first, second grade and up sometimes. Right. Sometimes older kids. Older kids. And I think that's really important piece. I think older kids need to play too. Middle school kids need to play. It doesn't look like the way a kindergartner plays all the time, but it's still important. And it's not just blocks. I know that you don't have kids from K to eight coming all day just playing with blocks. And you're like, okay, done. We did it. We've taught the kids. Obviously, this is something that evolves. So give me a couple more examples for people who are just sort of starting to consider this idea of play-based learning. Yeah, I was just thinking about this because our first grade class was recently studying volcanoes. Fun. Volcanoes, always fun. And how did this come up? I mean, we've spent many hours outdoors this year, even more hours than usual. So every day they're playing outside in this giant sandbox. And there's a group of students every day that are building volcanoes and pumping water and putting water and trying to get the volcano to overflow. So they're interested in volcanoes and they're asking questions about volcanoes. And when it's time to go to the library, they're looking for a book about volcanoes. And that is a perfect example of how project work for young students is very play-based. So all of a sudden, they're in a project where they're reading, writing, building, learning all about volcanoes. So it is academic, but it's based in play and it remains very playful. In the classroom, they're making a paper mache volcano and their little animals are walking up and falling down when the lava comes out. And so for young children, it's very, very fused. They don't always know the difference between what is play and what is learning. How do we as parents take these lessons about you're talking about kids learning in this very kind of play based way? How can we draw a bridge to the way that we parent and the way that we present things in our homes for kids in order to maximize their learning? Even if our kids probably don't, most of us have access specifically to progressive education. Absolutely. And I think it has enormous implications for people at home, for parents at home, because Following a child's interest, well, a lot of work, right? Maybe it's not, you're not interested in finding out everything about dinosaurs, but your three-year-old is. So acknowledging that it's not necessarily your passion project. Right. At the same time, it is a fun and I'll use rich again, productive, also semi-structured way to spend time with children. It's not a free-for-all, right? If your three-year-old loves dinosaurs, what are you going to do? You're going to get library books about dinosaurs. Maybe you're going to watch a video. Maybe you're going to invest in some plastic dinosaur toys, right? You're going to draw pictures of dinosaurs. You Maybe you'll go to a museum if, you know, we're ever allowed to go to museums again. Someday we're going to do that. Someday. Someday it's going to happen. I believe. It's project-based learning, I think, is totally natural to people, to human beings, It's the way most of us learn things, given the freedom to learn how we want to. I love it. And the motivation piece is so important. At my school, I think it's fair and true to say children love school. They love school. And why? It's not because they don't work hard or have, you know, because they don't have to learn things. They just play all day. It's because they're super engaged and invested in what's going on. Because it might be really hard to write about volcanoes when you're in first grade, just plain hard work. But you pick that topic, you're eager to find out about it, and you want to share what you learned. So you've got to write it down. 
I love the idea behind it. And I want to talk a little bit more when we come back from this break about how we are using this in our own lives. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back with Christina Martin of the Children's School in Oak Park, Illinois. Let's talk about how we use the concepts that you're talking about that you use in your school that maybe we don't have access to in our own schools or our kids go to more traditional schools or we want to foster this sense of curiosity and learning in our kids, but we don't know where to start. I think you're right. It is all about fostering curiosity. And part of what you do is model curiosity. So model enthusiasm for lots of different topics. I think it can be easy for an adult to dismiss a child's interests or their questions. And I'm not saying you have to be some kind of, you know, Stepford parent, that Mary Poppins person. Mary Poppins. Yes. I mean, the thing we say all the time is like, we're not here to make your life harder. We're here to make your life easier. And so sometimes this stuff sounds like, wait, now I have to research progressive ed and start running around and making volcanoes. This sounds horrible. And like, you're right. It does sound horrible. Yeah. Our point is not that. It's that just reframing your ideas of curiosity and learning and play. I think even seeing block play as learning is radical for some people. Yes. 
one of the ideas that you talk about that is always really interesting to me is like putting up with a little bit more mess to let kids explore, because this is something that a lot of we just had somebody write about it on the Facebook page. And it is something that people struggle with. Right. This idea of like finger paints. I would rather do almost anything than see those finger paints come out or a million dinosaurs ever. And sometimes it seems to us, I think that like Amy has a joke, which is like these toys aren't going to mess up themselves like the grim determination that kids just attack the playroom with. And how do we structure, let's say, our playrooms so that kids play effectively and in a way that doesn't ruin our entire existence? Yeah, great question. Not a perfect answer. I mean, there's going to be some mess involved. We're going to have to accept that, guys. But I think that there are ways that you don't, maybe not having everything out at the same time, those kind of ideas. Yes. And also, I'm going to just put in a plug for lots and lots of outdoor play. Outdoor is where you can get messy. Right. If you have the clothing for it, (laughs) you know, you can go out and be in the mud and be in the snow and yell and run and jump and do all those things that aren't always appropriate, you know, or really great to have going on in your home. And talk a little bit about, because you run a school in a fairly urban environment. I feel like people hear outdoor play and they're like, we don't have a yard. It's like your school is in what I would describe as an urban environment. There's, it's not like you live on some 40 acres of grounds where the kids are running around. Correct. Yes. So one thing we do is most of our classes go to the actual woods one day a week and spend a morning or sometimes longer in the woods, playing in the woods. And what do you put them on a bus to take them to the woods in Chicago? We right now in COVID times, we are having we have a forest preserve that's maybe 10 minutes from our school. Okay. And we are having parents drop them off there. Wow. But yes, we've taken buses in the past. Got it. So you're getting them into the woods. You're getting them into the woods. But then our other outdoor space in our setting, you're right, it's very urban. We do use parks, local parks, but we also have a kind of, so we're in an old Catholic school building. We have a concrete courtyard, right, that we've turned into a an outdoor play space with a lot of natural materials. That's where the giant 25-foot sandbox is. There's a pump and a water sluice. There are all these loose parts like sticks and rocks and shells and big boards for building tires and cinder blocks. Like kids can build a fort. So talk a little bit about how people interact with that, because I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what is this exactly? It kind of looks like a big pile of junk. And that's kind of the play space. And it's this is an idea that I feel like really changed my mind about some things about how we run stuff in the house, because a lot of people, it's like my kids walk outside, they get cold, they get bored, they come back in. This idea of like, you have to lead them to this exploration a little bit. Yes. And I think a big pile of junk is exactly what I want to encourage indoors and out. Hopefully not junk that takes over your entire house, but a place where children could build and make things. Mm. Cardboard, duct tape, glue, and hot glue. Oh, your people are, they're turning off their phones right now. When you said hot glue, they're like, no, no, not the hot glue. They're out. Colored masking tape. I mean, you paper, crayons, Scissors. I was in a classroom just yesterday and a student was showing me her mint that she's making. She's studying government. She's in third grade and she's making a mint. And it's just this cardboard box with all these little parts, like a tiny little toothpick that comes out and it's got a paper blade on it. And that's where the bills get cut into individual bills, right? So she's researched in books and videos. She's seen pictures 
of a mint, and now she's making it out of cardboard and pink tape. And she's going to remember that. For most third graders, so you said, who? what's a mint? I know most of mine would be like, no idea what that word means. Like, she's going to remember forever what a mint is. And she's already an expert. And I said, well, a mint, do they make coins there? Or do they also make paper money? Well, a mint makes both. Mm. You know, she already knows so much about it and so much more than she would know if she were just asked to read an article and answer some questions. And draw the line for us from people, because sometimes I hear stuff like that. And I'm like, that seems like a genetically different kind of child than the child who lives in my house. You know, like, is it just leaning into that kid's different interests? Like, what is that for every kid? That's it, right? This kid chose the mint out of a topic of government. Mm. But your kid might not. And that's, I think, the art of the teacher. Also, maybe the parent, right? Helping guide the child's interest. There's a lot that children don't know. We talk about this all the time at my school because emergent curriculum, right? This idea that project topics and learning topics emerge out of children's interests. Mm. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time so far. And it's great and wonderful. On the other hand, there are things children don't know. And part of an adult's job is to grow the context for them, help them explore more parts of the world. That's right. And this is a good point to address in terms of people who are listening and being like, so this is a school where you go play with blocks all day? Like, I don't understand. Like, you are guiding this curriculum and you're not just like, okay, someone said volcanoes. It's volcanoes today because you would produce children who only understand about like volcanoes, llamas and Mars, right? Like you can't only lean into whatever the children bring in. Correct. And we don't only, I just want to be super clear. We also teach reading, writing, math, social studies, <laughs> science. There's many other parts to our day, but right. It is very individualistic. That's the power of play, right? Children get to explore their own interests, their own imagination. Ultimately, I think that is what we want for children. And I think that that's where the role outside of school for the parent is much clearer to me. I have a child right now who is obsessed with dinosaurs, was slightly into dinosaurs at that everybody's into dinosaurs age. What is that? Three or four, you know, and now in fifth grade has come around and like just super into there's some show on Netflix about dinosaurs and he's all the way back in. And so we're spending a lot of time talking about dinosaurs and just trying to lean into a kid's interests. And I feel like that for me has been a big takeaway of watching you in the school. Like, oh, they're learning doing this isn't just like, oh, we're wasting a lot of time talking about dinosaurs, which sometimes it feels like we got to get back to like, you know, looking at your bar graph because we're wasting time talking about dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are super cool. And it's an evolving area of science, right? You can literally pick up the newspaper or whatever. There'll be some new discovery, new. There's always more that they're learning about dinosaurs. It's a genuinely fascinating area of study. And you can model that same kind of enthusiasm for whatever topic your children bring up. I feel like that is so key. Amy talks a lot about that. I feel like she's really good at it. That thing of like, I don't know, baseball, when did it start? You know, and just leaning in. And, you know, it's not that everything leads back to screens, but we do have this gift that like we have encyclopedias in our hands at all times. So at the dinner table, you know, we're not on our phones, but occasionally we will say like, hey, let's figure that out. Like, when did this start? And try to lean into conversations and go a little bit deeper on our kids' interests. I think of this particularly with regards to high school, like modern day American high school, mm -hmm. where somehow a person 
in high school, a young person is supposed to be good at every subject, right? Like math, science, language arts, languages, everything. And they're supposed to do like something artistic and they're supposed to be athletic and they're supposed to have leadership. I mean, supposed to, right? But the high school day is sort of set up in these periods where you do each one of these things. You're graded in each one of these things and, you know, you're trying to get straight A's. And I feel like the rest of life is not like that. We don't say every day I need to be really good at my job plus this other job that's in a different field plus this athletic thing plus I, you know, and so I'm connecting this to leaning into children's interests. They're exploring things that they're interested in, that they're maybe good at, or it's helping them in a bigger sense, figure out maybe what they want to do, like to do and want to pursue more of. We're going to take a break. I want to talk more about this because this is a point you've made to me that has really made an impact on me. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. You said this to me a long time ago. I think one of my kids was having a hard time. And even in elementary school, this is true. That elementary school, you go in in the morning and not only are you supposed to be like, okay, it's art. Okay, put that. You just kind of are getting into the art. Put it down. It's now time for English. And you're like, I was almost done with my butterfly. No, it's English time. And then you're reading and it's like, okay, did you get that? Okay, (laughs) never mind. Math now. Like, that kids struggle. And when kids struggle, we have this thing of like, well, they're not good at school. And school is a many layered day. And that we had this conversation, you and I remember years ago, talking about one of my kids 
who really struggles with exactly that part of school, which is like time to change courses next class. Okay, but like that's not his strength is being able to move from thing to thing to thing. He's a kid who doesn't do that that well. And that, in fact, his strengths continue to emerge in certain areas and that it was very much the thing of if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you're always going to be disappointed in that fish. And so I think that this idea of looking at strengths is really helpful and interesting. I agree. And I think, you know, Western school, school as we know it today, it's a monolith. You're supposed to go a child, a student all the way through high school, exception for preschool, exception for college. I think preschool and college have some things in common. Mm. i.e. you get to explore your own interests. You're not expected to sit in one place all day. Right. You have more hands-on learning like a theater class or a lab. Anyway, the rest of school though, K through 12, it's a lot of sitting in a desk, listening and reading. Despite all the gains I think that progressive philosophy has made and all the good thinking that lots of teachers in all different settings are doing and good practices, it's still ultimately the model of sort of like opening up a kid's head and pouring in the things <laughs> that they need to know. Like, here's the math, do it this way. Here's the reading, do it this way. And it really, A, it just sucks the joy out of school. Mm. And B, I think it is genuinely damaging to children in the sense that it tells a large group of children, you are not good at this. Right. You're not a good reader. You're not good at math. You know, you're not smart. You can't do this. And so the strengths-based piece the leaning into the interests and helping children explore some things that they are good at, which by the way, it doesn't mean we're never going to work on math because you don't like math that much and it's hard for you. This is important to make the point that like this is not child-based, like whatever you want to do is fine. Correct. And I think sometimes progressive ed gets that rep of like, there's no grades and just roll around the rug, child, because it brings you joy. Like that's not what we're talking about here. It really, really isn't. Right. But I just want to say there is rigor in pursuing something that you want to learn about. Right. Think about something you've learned as an adult. Yeah. Or the example that I've been using during the pandemic is I have a kid who wanted to learn to do a front flip, just a running front flip. And I mean, what could be more rigorous than like it takes bravery, it takes strength. And he... This is a kid who sometimes struggles in school because he's got a lot of energy and he's not always the best at sitting still and he's so disorganized. So he's a kid who doesn't have the right book when he goes and oh no, it's all about whether you forgot the book. And I will say, talk about expectations. During the pandemic, my kids go two days a week, but they're not allowed to use lockers. And so to me, the expectations have become like they're going to function like a 20-year-old college student. They're going to have a backpack. They're going to have all the right books. They're going to bring home, you know, seven folders. Anyway, all this to say, he has just after school kept working on nailing a front flip and he eventually did it. But like that is very rigorous and that is learning. And that is, I think, in terms of fighting against the thing we're talking about, where schools have this Schools can sometimes make kids feel like they're not good at stuff. That's another good reason for parents to lean into that home learning, which is like, hey, you're struggling in this pre-algebra class that is difficult for you and number sense is maybe not your strength. But how many kids in your grade can do a standing front flip? I think two. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it brings me to another point that is about progressive ed, but it's also, it's just about life. If your child's social, emotional self is not cared for, they really aren't going to be available for learning of any kind. And so an experience like you describe where a child sets a goal for themselves and then works hard in all the ways you're saying physically with a lot of time and effort, with bravery and courage, with trying something and then saying, wait, that didn't work. Let me adjust. Let me try again. All of those pieces. Think of the learning that has happened for that child and think of how that can carry over into other settings. Because even in pre-algebra, that child has something to draw on, which is like, I wanted to do something and I worked really hard at it and I did it. And that is probably a better predictor of academic and career success than almost anything else. So now let's talk about a parent who doesn't see that in their child. Their child is in a school where they're struggling. You know, their kid is not feeling it academically for whatever reason. They don't have financially or geographically access to progressive ed or even a school that might just be a better fit for their kid in some other way. How are we as parents supporting a kid like that? Great question. Hard question. (laughs) Yeah, it could be a hard question. At my school, we talk a lot about authentic tasks, right? If your child needs to work on writing, what's going to be better for you? A handwriting workshop sheet that you do every evening after dinner when everybody's exhausted and at the end of their rope or an authentic writing task, something that your child wants to write, write a letter to somebody, and then they're going to get a letter back, a list of what they want to plan for their birthday, a list for you. You're going shopping. I need you to write this list for me. It's not the child's own list, but it's an authentic task. Like we need this to happen. Yeah. And similarly, this is slightly different, but similarly, I'm thinking about like something you said early made me think of this. Almost anything that you're learning about, you could have your children bring an idea to the table. Summer vacation, spring break. What are we going to do? How do we fill the hours? Well, you got two kids and two parents. How about each of you gives one idea? Okay, one day we're going to go and hike in the forest preserve. Okay, one day we're going to stay home and finally try to build that paper mache volcano. Mm. And one day we're going to watch movies and eat popcorn right? Everybody gives one idea into the mix. And in that way, you build buy-in, you build community, right? When it's your day and you're hiking in the woods, you're like, yay, this is fun. And you're that much more available the next day when it's building the volcano. And it teaches, I know, for my own trapped together family in the pandemic, we're not doing awesome at um, being excited about other people's ideas. But it helps that buy-in of, okay, it's not your day, though. Like your day was we went skiing, you know, or whatever. Your day skiing is like cost a million dollars and it's expensive and high maintenance. Your day was we went out and built that igloo out of snow in the backyard. So now it's your brother's day. And that's community of family learning. And I think that the key to that and some of it, it feels heavy. I know sometimes for people that I got to build a volcano now. Like that sounds horrible to me. Yes, I agree with that. And as you're talking, I'm also thinking I'm remembering what it's like to be at home with children. (laughs) And because it's been a while for me. Yeah, your kids are grown. My brother and his wife made the 
really interesting decision to have children early. So while we are the same age, my children are all still in the house and your children are grown and flown. They are grown and flown. And I think it is really important for parents to play with children and to really engage you know, wholeheartedly, right? I know I myself, I'm sure many of us have done a kind of half-hearted play, which is like, I'm trying to pretend I'm playing this with you, but I'm actually on my phone or I'm actually thinking about something else. What I guess I'd like to think ideally that you would have moments of 100% engagement with your child. Like we're going to play together right now. We're going to play this game. We're going to read this book. We're going to, you know, whatever it is, but that's not eight hours of your day. That's right. That might be 40 minutes of your day. And here's the big secret. 40 minutes of good play with your kid buys you a lot of time. It absolutely does. Whether than 20 minutes of like, I'm half on my phone, half looking. If you dial in for 40 minutes, you buy yourself some time. Right. And then you're like, and now I'm going to do something else and you are going to play on your own. And that's the argument for setting up the environment, right? And having those sticks and rocks outside that kids can just play with. Indoors, maybe it's like, toilet paper rolls and cardboard boxes and lots of paper and pencils and markers, pipe cleaners and popsicle sticks, recycle containers like egg cartons or, you know, whatever it is. And there are just materials that they can go and use freely and they're expected to, right? That's expected. That is such a key point because that's the last, I want to finish on this because I feel like people here, they're saying, not my kids, my kids are, would be bored. They're expected to play for a certain amount of time a day. That is part of the expectation of your household. And if you need to, if this isn't working for you, go back to our whiteboard, like set it up for one hour. It's free play with the kids and you guys, they will get there. But if you haven't had this expectation of play in the house, I think the kids will go in and be like, toilet paper rolls, I don't get it, I'm bored. And then if you kind of give up right away, you won't find that level of expectation. You have to kind of teach kids the expectation that like, this is playtime where you use your imagination. It's not always mommy, the cruise director makes this magical wonderland that you just are a participant in. Correct. And it's not always this screen will bombard you with constant stimulation and new and interesting things, right? Imaginative play. Yeah, you have to cultivate it as a skill. As a parent, you may have to model it. Yep. You may have to get down there and try to make something out of toilet paper tubes. And I'm going to say that won't be unpleasant. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of fun. Who knows what you'll do? Yeah, my kid came up with the other day, he's like, I came up with a game and it was, let's all draw ourselves, but as animals. And I was like, okay, what's the game? But that was the whole game. Let's just draw ourselves. And at the end, you all show the picture and you're like, this is me as a bunny. This is you as a rhino, whatever. I didn't really get it, but like, that's the game and a little bit of participation. And then it's like letting them use that imagination. And yeah, just, I am so reluctant to give people heaviness, but this is not heaviness. This is just play. And to return to where we started, that imaginative play for children is where they try things out, right? They work through conflict. They tackle maybe scary topics or difficult topics. Mm -hmm. They work on relationships with other people. They think about their own selves, their own interests, their own needs. It's very powerful place, the world of imaginative play. It's not like some separate side piece to a child's emotional well-being and their learning. It's actually the center of it. Perfectly said. Christina, tell us about the children's school and where we can find out more about what you do there. So the children's school, you can find out more at our website, thechildrenschool.info. 
It's located in Oak Park, Illinois, independent, progressive, play and project-based learning. Christina, thanks so much for being with us today. This was fun. This was great. Thank you. It was great. In our show notes, you will find a link to information about the Children's School and some articles as well about progressive education if you'd like to learn more. And thanks as always for listening. We'll talk to you next time. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.